My name is Mark Donald. I'm a pastoral assistant here at the church. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 107, so please turn there in your Bibles. I love a good rescue story. Some of my favorite books and TV shows and movies are about a hero, or maybe a group of heroes sometimes, swooping in, saving the day, and rescuing someone. One of my favorite in recent years is The Martian Movie. Have you, have you guys seen that movie, The Martian Movie with Matt Damon? Matt Damon, an astronaut, is stranded on the planet of Mars. No one on Earth knows he's there at the, at the start, and he's stranded completely alone in the desert, literally in the middle of nowhere. He has no hope. He can't communicate with the people back on Earth, and he's just left for dead, basically. But as the movie unfolds, the people on Earth start to see and recognize that someone's been left behind. And so they form a team to try and rescue Matt Damon. And the, the plan that they come up with has the, only the slightest chance of success. But it works. Matt Damon gets rescued. I hope I haven't just ruined that movie for you all. Stories of rescues, when told well, are incredibly gripping. Because of the terrible situations that these individuals find themselves in because of the great obstacles that have to be overcome, and because of the heroics of the rescuers. This psalm, Psalm 107, today, has a call for us to respond to God's great acts of rescue. So let's read it, and then we can dive in. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them give thanks, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed down their hearts, down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. 
Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' ends. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to a desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray and then we can dive in. Heavenly Father, we come before you now in the name of your Son, Jesus, who, through whom we've received your steadfast love. Lord, we pray that as we study your word this morning, that my words would be right and true and faithful. Lord, we pray that we would be led to consider your love for us again today and be led to give thanks and praise and worship to you because of it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 107 is the first psalm of the fifth book of the Psalter. So the, the book of Psalms is split into five books, and this is the very first psalm of the fifth book and final book. The Psalms are like a hymn book, the hymn book of Israel. And through it, they tell the story of Israel's history and even interpret the story of Israel's history. They tell us about Israel's king, and they tell us about Israel's God. So when we get to the fifth book of the Psalms, the story shifts. It shifts from crying out to the Lord for deliverance in book four to a hopeful and glorious future in which God has provided and saved his people and where he's fulfilled his promises to rescue them and to bring them and gather them to the promised land where he will dwell with them. 
And we see all of these elements in Psalm 107, which introduces the book. The main point of Psalm 107 and of this sermon is this. Consider God's steadfast love and give thanks for God's steadfast love. So if you're taking notes, this is the summary of the whole sermon. Consider God's steadfast love and give thanks for God's steadfast love. Those are the two commands given in the psalm. The encouragement to give thanks to God for his love is found almost like a a refrain or a chorus through the whole psalm. I don't know if you noticed that as I read it out loud. We see it, look at verse 1, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31. The psalmist is calling the gathering to give thanks to the Lord for his love. But before we can give thanks to God for his love, we must understand what it is. We must know what is God's love. We must take time to consider it, which is how the psalmist closes the song. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So point number one of the sermon, consider the steadfast love of the Lord. In order to help us consider the love of the Lord, I want to ask a series of questions and see how the psalmist himself answers each of them. So here we go. Question number one. What is the steadfast love of the Lord? The psalm opens with a call to give thanks and worship and praise to God for his steadfast love. But what exactly is it? The psalm itself answers that question. It is God's ongoing commitment and keeping his promises to act and save his people Israel. So if you're taking notes, here's a definition. God's steadfast love is God's commitment to save and bless his people. The psalmist tells us in verse 2, it's God's redeeming love that saved the people from trouble and gathered them in from all of the lands. But that begs the question, right? Why are the people all spread apart in all of the lands? Why are they in trouble? Just like it wouldn't make sense for you to start watching the Martian movie towards the very end after Matt Damon's already been rescued, it doesn't make sense or we can't fully understand this text if we just dive in here and we don't know the context of the story. Like I said earlier, the whole book of the Psalms is telling the story and interpreting the story of Israel's history. So how does Psalm 107 fit into that bigger storyline? That's really important. It's really key. God redeemed the people of Israel by saving them from slavery in Egypt. You can find the story about that in Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And he led them out of Egypt, where they were enslaved, he delivered them from the Egyptians, and he brought them into the promised land of Canaan. But that's not the deliverance that the psalmist is talking about. God made a covenant with his people. That's a a set of promises to enter into a relationship to say, here's how we're going to relate to one another. And God made these promises to the people. He called them to love him, to serve him, and to obey him, to follow him. If they did, God promised to bless them. And he did. 
They conquered their enemies. They entered into the land. They set up a king and they prospered. But they were not careful to keep God's covenant. They weren't careful to keep the promises that they had made with God. They rejected him. They broke the covenant. And God promised them if they rejected him, if they broke the covenant, that they would be defeated. That they would be captured. That they would be enslaved. That they would be taken away into exile. They'd be forced out of their country into other places and be ruled over. This is kind of like, they became like refugees, basically. The kingdom broke in two. Then both kingdoms were dragged away into exile and, and, and forced labor. They were in captivity in nations far away. And that's why the people were in trouble. That's why they needed to be gathered from the north and the south and the east and from the west. After this introduction, the psalmist gives us four snapshots or scenes from the movie of exile. He tells us about four different groups in four different places facing four different troubles. But all of them are in exile, far away from their home and far from God. Each begins with the same word, some. Some were. I don't know if you noticed that when I was reading it aloud. Some were wandering in desert wastes. Some were slaves in darkness. Some suffered physical affliction or sickness. And some are caught in a storm on the seas. As we read through each of these scenes, and as we read Psalm 106 and Book 4 of the Psalter, we see the reason why. But even in Psalm 107, we get clues as to why they were far away from the land. That it was because of a result of breaking God's covenant. Group number one, they can't find a home and they're unsatisfied. Why? Because they wandered away from God who satisfies the soul. Group number two are prisoners in affliction. And verse 11 tells us that it's because they rebelled against God and his words and they spurned his counsel. So he, that's God, bowed down their hearts with heavy labor. Group number three are fools. Why? Because of their sinful ways. And as a result, they got sick, they could not eat, and they're close to the gates of death. And finally, the fourth group, they're doing business on the seas. But verse 26, notice in verse 26, they were, we're told that they, their courage melted away in their evil plight. Wherever they've gone, wherever they've been sent, wherever they are, God sees them and he keeps his promises. Because of their sin and their rejection and their evil, God keeps his word and he curses them. But how do they all respond? We've got four different groups in four different situations in four different places, but how do they all respond? They all respond exactly the same way. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Just as God kept his promises of bringing the curses on them for rejecting the covenant, God also kept his promises of restoring them and forgiving them and blessing them when they cried out to him. Those that turned from their rebellion and called on the Lord, 
He blessed. He redeemed. He gathered in. He brought them back from exile. He brought them to a city to dwell in. Set them free from the slavery that they were under. And he brought them to a desired haven or a refuge. Following these four scenes, the author turns in verses 33 through 42. He turns from the past tense into the present tense. To say, God didn't just act like this before. God continues and will always continue to work like this. He continues to do this in the present. There's a series of reversals in this section which show that God removes blessing from some because of the evil of their because of the evil of the inhabitants of the land he removes blessings or raising up the needy out of affliction and making their families like flocks. In other words, God doesn't change. Those who rebel against him through their sin will be cursed. But those who are humble and recognize that they need saving will be blessed by God when they cry out to him. This is all well and good, but how has God shown his steadfast love to you and I? How has God redeemed Christians? What trouble has he saved us from? As we read further in the Bible, we realize that Israel needed more than to be brought out of exile. They needed more to, than to be set free from physical slavery. They needed more than just a physical healing. They needed a far greater redemption. One that all of these point to. Like them, you and I need to be saved from great trouble. We needed to be found and led by God. We had wandered, not in desert wastes, but the Bible tells us that each and every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray and wandered to our own way. We've rebelled against God. We've rejected his word and his counsel. We're bound as prisoners, not in physical slavery, but in slavery to sin. One hymn writer puts it this way, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Do you see what he's saying? We were locked in a dungeon of sin until the light of Christ burst in and set us free. God brought us out of darkness and out of the shadow of death and he burst the chains of sin apart. We might not have been sick as a result of our sin, but did you know that sin is like a terminal illness? It infects us, inside us, and outside. It makes us weak. It begins to kill us. Sin is not like the common cold. Sin is like cancer. Cancer is in your cells. It's part of you. And it, and it will kill you. It will continue to grow and take control of more and more parts of your body until you're dead. And just like cancer, if we leave sin alone or ignore it for long, it will destroy us. 
Do you think of yourself like that? Do you think of yourself as a sinner? As someone who's sick with sin, like a terminal disease? You should. That's what the Bible tells us. If you're a Christian, though, you know that God has healed you from the sickness of sin. God sent out his word, the word, Jesus Christ, and healed us from the sickness of sin. We weren't caught in a physical storm like these men here. But there is a storm brewing. The storm of God's wrath against each and every sin that we've ever or will ever commit. Every sinful word, every sinful deed, every sinful thought that you've ever had, God's wrath against it is brewing. But Jesus calmed the storm of God's wrath against us. We were in need of a rescue, and God provided. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, into the world. Jesus, who obeyed his father perfectly. He obeyed him even to the point of death. Jesus never disobeyed his father. He never spurned his father's counsel. He never broke his father's word. He earned righteousness for us, perfection, moral perfection. And then he took the curse that we deserve for our sin on himself on the cross. He died the death that sinners deserve in our place so that we don't have to pay for it ourselves. And then he rose from the dead to new life that we can have in him, a life set free from that kind of slavery to sin. This is great news. This is such wonderful news. How, notice how the Israelites received God's steadfast love. Did they do a lot of good deeds to try and earn themselves the, the right to be rescued? No, no. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And this gospel is the same. We can't do enough good to come to God on our own. We must simply recognize our need for saving and cry out to the Lord. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thelma just read that for us earlier. Everyone who calls and cries out to the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're here this morning and you have never received God's steadfast love, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you can receive God's steadfast love today. You don't need to start. You don't need to turn around before you can come to Jesus. You just need to recognize your need and look to him, your great savior, and then follow him. If you want to know more about that, please come and speak to me after this service or any of our members. They would love to talk to you about what it means to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, what he's done and what he's accomplished at the cross for you. So God's steadfast love is God's commitment to save and to bless his people, both Israel and us. But now that we know what God's steadfast love is, how do we consider God's steadfast love? What does that look like? What do we do? First of all, we have to recognize that we were in trouble. We'll never experience God's loving commitment to save us if we don't think that we need saving from anything. Like these people, we must see ourselves as people who, apart from God's love, are in grave danger. People that are lost, people that are sick, people who are in trouble. 
Do you remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees who were questioning why he spent so much time with sinners and tax collectors? Do you remember? Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. When we must see ourselves as sinners and sick with sin in need of a savior. So one way that we can meditate on or consider God's steadfast love to us is by meditating on the trouble that God has saved us from. We can't think of ourselves as just being slightly off course, a little bit, a little bit in need, but we were, we were doing all right, but we just needed a little redirection, just a little bit of religion in our lives, just a little bit of God. No, no, we cannot think that way. We must see ourselves as totally helpless and hopeless and in the middle of the desert, basically on Mars without a compass or way of connecting with the earth and asking for rescue. We were without hope. And when we see ourselves in that way, that will lead us to greater thankfulness for what God has done to save us. God's determination to seek us out, to find us and to bring us home to himself. Without this kind of view of ourselves, God's love begins to shrink in our minds. It seems less and less impressive, less and less worthy of our, of our worship or our praise. No, the more sober we are about our sin, the more we can't help but give thanks to God for his steadfast love. Shown to us through Jesus. In this psalm, the author doesn't shy away from painting a pretty bleak picture of these individuals, does he? He, he almost sounds a bit melodramatic in some ways, but he's not. They were in trouble. They were in need. And so were we. So how do we reflect on our sin in such a way that's not to make light of it, but also not to just dwell in guilt and condemnation? Here's a, a few helpful steps that you can take. One, confess your sins openly to one another. Husbands and wives... Confess your sins to one another. Don't ignore it. Don't just walk away from the, the trouble or the argument or the situation and just cool off and come back. Own your sin. Say, this is wrong. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Please forgive me. And parents, you can do this too with your children. When you get frustrated or angry or shout or are unkind to your children, don't just ignore it. Ask for forgiveness. Say you're sorry. Say this was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And model for your children what it looks like to own your own sin and to ask for forgiveness for it. Brothers and sisters, if you're not married or if you don't have kids, you can do this with one another as well. All of the members of our church should be doing this together. As we meet and gather, we shouldn't ignore our sin. We should confess our sin. And we should be quick to ask for forgiveness when we sin against one another. This is the greatest way to, to, to be motivated to turn to God and ask him for forgiveness. Because ultimately all of our sin is against him. So lead one another in confessing your sins and asking God for forgiveness together. But don't just stop there. Don't just stop with your sin. Remember and remind one another of the gospel. God's solution and rescue from sin. As we've seen, God's love is shown in his commitment to save us, right? So don't just dwell on your sin, 
Dwell on your Savior. Dwell on Christ. Robert Murray McShane, a Scottish minister, said, For every look at yourself and your sin, take ten looks at Jesus and the cross. Christians should be quick and loose with sharing the gospel with one another. We should speak it to one another as well as to those that are non-Christians that we're friends with. And thirdly, finally, consider the gospel by sharing your testimonies with one another. Don't be embarrassed to share your testimony. Get practiced and get better at sharing your testimonies. Just as the psalmist here recounts specific times, how God saved specific people from specific situations, we should recount how God has saved each and every one of us. None of us have the same exact testimony. Give thanks to God by sharing about his love and how he's saved you. Take time even today, this afternoon, as you go and have lunch or work, whatever you do, ask one another or be willing to share how you became a Christian, how God saved you. So where does considering God's love and meditating on it lead us? Thinking about God's love is never the end in itself. We're not just to grow big heads that know a lot about God's love. It's always meant to lead somewhere. It's always meant to lead us to worship and praise God for him, for his love. Here's the big spoiler of the movie of all of history. God saves his people so that they might glorify him by worshiping him forevermore. When we skip to the end of the story in Revelation, we see that God will gather all of his people throughout all history, from every tribe and tongue and nation to himself. And we will sing forevermore and worship him. It says this, they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed a people for God. Remembering God's love in saving us should always lead to worshiping God and giving thanks to God. Which is point two of the sermon. Give thanks for God's steadfast love. As individuals who have been saved from our sins through faith in Christ, it's right and it's highly appropriate for us to give thanks at all times. We should do it individually. We should do it when we gather in groups during the week. We should do it as families and family devotionals. But notice who this song, who this psalm is addressing. It addresses a group, a gathering, a congregation. We give thanks to God together. It's a call to a group of people who have been gathered, remember, in verse 1 and 2. It says, let the redeemed say so, whom he has redeemed and gathered. And look at verse 32. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. The word there that's translated congregation could just as easily and is translated in the New Testament as church. The refrain that we've heard through the whole song is a call to them, plural, to give thanks for God's steadfast love. We see the same encouragement as we read the New Testament as well. Paul tells the church in Ephesus 
when they gather together to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with their heart, giving thanks always and in everything, for everything, to God. When we give thanks together, it's especially pleasing to God. But we also address one another. We encourage one another with these truths. This time that we carve out every week on Friday mornings is sacred to the Lord. It's so important. It should be an immovable rock in our week. Now, I'm not saying if you're traveling or if you're sick, I'm not talking about that. But this time is so important. And it's commanded by God. And it's when we encourage one another by giving thanks together to the Lord who saved us. Make it a priority to be here on Fridays. Come as often as you can. And some of you might think, well, as long as I get there before the sermon, I'm good. But you're missing out on so much rich truth and so much wonderful praise that we have in the songs. There's usually five or six songs before the sermon. You're missing out if you only make it for the sermon. Finally, we give thanks in song. Psalms are songs, and throughout the Bible we see examples of God's people singing praises to God in response to his great acts of love. Music and song are a great gift from the Lord, and I want to give you just a few reasons why singing is so powerful especially when we do it together. One, because we sing about what excites us. Have you ever thought about that? Singing is the natural response to something that we're excited about. I'll give you an example. If you were in Britain and you went to a football game, you would hear people singing before, during, and after the match. No one comes out and says, hey guys, it's now time to start singing, please start singing. Football fans just sing. They just sing because they're excited, because they love their team, because they want to encourage them and spur them on to victory in the game. They want them to score the goal, or they're really excited because they just scored a goal. No one tells a football fan, start singing. They just do it. Some of them come up with their own songs, all sorts of things. And the same is not just true in Britain, it's also true in America. In fact, in America, they hire a whole band to come out and play music, and they have trumpets and all sorts of stuff. It's kind of ludicrous. but <laughs> And it's not only in America. The same is true in the Philippines, too, at basketball games, I've been told. This is a universal truth. We sing about the things that excite us the most, the things that we're most happy about. Christians should gather together and give thanks to God in song, just like the Israelites did. What a shame if we gather together and we're far less excited about singing about the great love and rescue that the Lord has done to deliver us than we are about our rugby team or our American football team or our basketball team. We have far greater cause to be excited and thankful than sports fans and football goals. And I want to encourage you all and I'm so encouraged by you already doing this, but I want to encourage you even more. Sing loudly as we sing together. Even if you don't feel like you're very good at singing, it's okay. It's pleasing to the Lord. And it's encouraging to us, the rest of us. 
Sing these glorious truths loudly and strongly to the Lord for his love that he's shown to us in Christ. The psalmist encourages us to do this. In verse 22, he says, Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Verse 32 says, Let them extol the congregation and praise him. Let let them extol him in the congregation and praise him. Singing helps us to get to the point where our feelings catch up with the truths that we know. So don't wait to feel excited. Begin singing loudly and you will will be led to be excited. Two, music's so powerful because we sing to one another as well as to God. It's been a joy to lead the congregation in singing over the few weeks that Channel's away. I'm really glad he's back because he's much more musically gifted than I am, but it was a joy. I was kind of surprised, I was very nervous about singing, but this is the best place to be in the church on a Friday morning when we're singing. Because I get to see you all. I am encouraged by seeing you and being addressed by you as you sing about God's glorious love for us in Christ. That's so encouraging. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but take note when John gets back, John Pentecost. He I learned this from him when we were together at church in the States, but he looks around during the service and it sometimes looks a bit awkward and funny. He cranes his neck like this so that he can see the people behind him because he's usually sitting towards the front and it's kind of awkward, but he is taking seriously what Paul said to the Ephesians to address one another. He wants to encourage you and be encouraged by you. Now you don't need to sit on the front row and crane your necks every week, but Know that you're singing to one another and try and stir one another up to sing praises to God for his great love. Finally, we learn when we sing. We learn when we sing. It's a wonderful vehicle for truth. Music and lyrics together move us, and that's good. That's the way that God's designed it to be. And that's why soundtracks to movies are so powerful and so memorable. Because they make us feel a certain way and they remind us of the scenes that we saw in the movies. Music is so powerful it can move us to feel certain ways. For us though, we want the music and the truths that we're singing about to lead us to worshipping God. And to feeling the right emotions and affections for the Lord. Because we ought to feel thankful to the Lord for saving us. And sometimes music can help us to feel the way that we are struggling to feel. When we've come from a particularly challenging week that's been hard and we're downcast, it can help us to feel rightly and to begin to feel thankful again to the Lord. I've been served by music so, so much in my life. Um, Even times when I feel lost or trapped or weak, listening to good gospel music has been so powerful to me. I'm so thankful for it. It's also amazing that I can memorize lyrics to songs quite easily and quite quickly. It's so much harder for me to memorize passages of scripture. But when we sing songs and when we listen to songs that are, that, that are deeply rich with scriptural truths, that helps us to know and remember and memorize God's word, God's truth. I'm sure many of you know the lyrics to hundreds, if not thousands of songs, maybe songs that you haven't even sang in many years. Isn't that amazing that God's given us a wonderful tool? So in light of all of that about song, I want to ask a couple of questions. 
application questions. What kind of music are you listening to? Is the music that you're listening to leading you to thank and praise God for his love? Does it teach you about the truths of God's steadfast love that have been shown to us in Christ? What truths are the songs that you're listening to teaching you? When I first became a Christian, I learned so much theology from the music that I started to listen to. I started to listen to hymns and contemporary Christian music and all kinds of different music. But you know what was the most significant for me? This might surprise you. I was taught the most by Christian hip-hop. But God's great rescue through the gospel is so much greater than any of these movies could ever be. God's rescuing love is true. It's incredible. And we can spend the rest of our lives considering it, meditating on it, and we get to spend the rest of our lives worshiping and giving thanks to the Lord for it. That's what we're going to do when we gather in heaven. Give thanks to God for his steadfast love forever and ever. Let's do that now by turning to page 8, and we'll sing, All I Have is Christ. <laughs> 